Welcome to the Guernsey Press Arts Podcast, a podcast about the arts in Guernsey, produced by the press and presented by me, Simon Delarue. On this month's edition, we'll be hearing about plans to encourage more art in public places, including a project that will see us following green lines about town. We'll hear from the director and from the choreographer of Gaddock's big Easter musical, 9 to 5, and we'll be meeting two local artists to find out more about their work. Sculptor Sophie Laliva, whose exhibition Portal dealt with matters of life and death, and the quirky Kiwi, whose intricate penwork brings Guernsey and New Zealand inspirations together. But first, let's hear from one of the artists most intimately involved in the current exhibition showing at Art for Guernsey on Mill Street, a renaissance of Victor Hugo, which opened recently with the entire building adorned with those eye-catching inflatable octopus tentacles. You can't have missed them. Tony Kerr spoke to Daniel Hosega. Yeah, so I guess first of all, just talk us through kind of what's on the walls tonight here and, and the sort of journey that, that you've had to, to, to get it here. Well, it's been, it has been, a journey is the right word for it. I mean, what, three years in the making now? So yeah, David approached me through my gallery in London, the James Freeman Gallery, to come over to Guernsey, you know, do a little bit of art inspired by Guernsey. At the time, I sort of, you know, Guernsey's a, a beautiful place, and but I think there's a lot of people that have already sort of, you know, you guys know how beautiful Guernsey is. You don't need me to tell that. So it was sort of trying to find an angle of what I can bring to the table and something new and interesting, both to you and to me. And yeah, Victor Hugo, I didn't realize that he was in exile here for a long time. And he's, it seems like he's, his presence here is still quite big. So, I, and I like narratives and stories and such. So that seemed like an obvious place for me to sort of actually, you know, respond. Uh, and Oleg felt the same. So we sort of went down that avenue. Um, yeah, so we came over here for two and a half weeks the first time, just having a look around, getting inspired. Ended up going up to Hopeville House, which is a fantastic place. Uh, um, it's a funny place, but yeah. I mean, uh, surprising, I think is probably the best <laughs> yeah. word. And yeah, and then going away and just, yeah, I think uh, originally I was sort of responding to the Toilers of the Sea, which is sort of Victor Hugo's love letter to Guernsey. Um, and then, well, you know, how these things go, I was sort of beavering away on that first project and then you keep getting new ideas and new ideas and more things coming up. So then, yeah, this project is, it's quite nice that it's actually been delayed because if we'd have done it when it was originally sort of supposed to happen, it would have been a, probably a much smaller exhibition, but you know, it's, yeah, I've always like, it, the journey originally was more like a sort of a, an art Tinder date, if you know what I mean, sort of come over to Guernsey, get wine and dine, make some sweet sweet art and then sort of leave but it's turned out to be a bit more of a marriage if anything um yeah i mean david's got his lovely house for art for guernsey oh there's people in the window um yeah this <laughs> that's a people uh perhaps taking a wrong turn no um yeah and you know david's bought this fantastic building which is i mean you can see how great this is going to be for guernsey it's only the first day and look at it already and but also, you know, we have the kids that come over to London and study with me, which I think for me is the, the best part of it. And that's through Art for Guernsey? It is. Yeah. I, you know, David sort of originally they were coming to London to do to do a little bit of drawing at the London Drawing School. Pandemic and whatnot, that sort of sort of fizzled out. And David sort of said, is there anything you can think of? And I was like, yeah, we can do something much more interesting. You know, we don't have to just do drawing. 
X, Y, and Z. So I put together a sort of a really strong sort of program. It's not a school trip. It's more, it's more dynamic than that. They come over, we treat them as adults, you know, get them doing all sorts of things. They do bronze casting, etching, get them using all sorts of crazy machines. It's a really good experience, but I'm not an educator and I was a bit sort of hesitant how that was going to go, but it's, I, I just find it so rewarding because uh, it's quite a strange time to be alive. You know, there's a lot of, you know, negative things going on in the world. And I always find in the summer when you're sort of getting bogged down by watching the news and, you know, whatever catastrophe is coming out next sort of thing. And then you spend a week with these, with, with these young sort of adults. And it's sort of, I don't know, I come away from it feeling like I think we're going to be all right. You know what I mean? The next generation, they're all, yeah, they're much better off than I was when I was their age in terms of their mentality. And if, if, if that's the future generation, I'm, I'm okay with that. So yeah, I, I, I think for me, that's the, that's the best part of art for Guernsey. Fantastic. And that, you know, it's a massive part, isn't it, about this new building is that combination of what's on the walls, but also who's coming through the door and, and, and what they're learning. Um, hopefully a lot of people are going to come through in the next few weeks to see, um, to see your art here. When they do, um, just talk them through what they can expect and, and the process that goes into actually creating what you have. Well, I mean, my work's sort of twofold, really. I mean, my background's actually in sculpture, but these days I'm much more interested in drawing. I'm interested in storytelling and, you know, some would say a bit more traditional, traditional in, you know, air quotes kind of art. And um, yeah, so I, I spend a lot of time just, just looking at things going on in the world and what's going on around me. I've got these, I've got books full of half-baked half, half -baked ideas and I'll have sort of a little bit of an idea and then later on I'll get another little bit of an idea and then I'll be like, oh, if I put those two together, I've got something great and, you know. So then I end up doing these big, big elaborate drawings, sort of telling, you know, stories of whatever I'm interested in at that sort of time. And then after I've made the drawings, I then get them into a digital format and I uh, screen print them in sort of bright and bold colours on sheets of glass, well, sometimes perspex. Actually, these days it's mostly perspex because I've dropped too many glass pieces of work. <laughs> After spending a month working on something and dropping it, yeah, it's, it's, it's tearful. So these days I'm very much into plastic. But. You know, artistically, obviously you said that you kind of, you, you know, you obviously discovered this Victor Hugo link that, that Guernsey had. Um, I mean, for you creatively, uh, what kind of journey has that taken you on? Has it been, has it been particularly satisfying? Yeah, it's been, I mean, I'm so chuffed with this body of work, this exhibition. It's probably the best exhibition that, most cohesive exhibition that I've put together. I mean, that probably from the fact that we've had three years to allow that to settle is part of that. But um, I mean, Victor Hugo is one of these characters that he sort of, you know, he touches a lot of people that I've been interested in, in the past. So, you know, writers like James Joyce or um, a visual artist whose names now elude me, but they, they all say that Victor Hugo was an influence on them, but he's someone that I've never actually spent that much time studying. And then suddenly I came over here and Victor Hugo was a big part of, you know, the Guernsey kind of history. There's, a, there's several public sculptures about him. There's the house and whatnot. So then I sort of gave him a bit more attention. Okay, you know, what's this guy about? Read some of it. I mean, I was aware of his books, but I've never read them. So spent a bit more time sort of getting to know him. He's, you know, he's, he's I mean, aside from the fact that he's a fan, well, his writing legacy is fantastic. I mean, personally, I prefer sort of maybe you know, more modernist books to the sort of romanticism or whatever. But, you know, it's the sheer volume of stuff that he did. He's got this huge legacy of books. But then if you go to Hopeville House and see all the crazy drawings and things, you know, I don't know how he had time to. And then on top of that, on top of producing, he produced more drawings than I've ever produced and wrote all these books. He's also had time in his spare time to decorate this house, you know, in the most elaborate way possible. I, I'm struggling to sort of 
tie my shoelaces, do a painting and yeah, and actually see any of my friends or spend time with my family. And he's doing all these things. So. I guess he wasn't doom scrolling Twitter yeah, back then. I guess, yeah, if you haven't got a mobile phone, you've got much more time on your hands, haven't you? But... And, yeah. you know, and when you look at um, you know what Art for Guns has created, obviously you know you've got a little bit of a relationship now with the island. Um, what do you make of of the project and the ambition that's shown here for for quite a small place? I think you know, I mean, Guernsey for its size really punches above its weight. I think um, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in a very small town with a very similar vibe to St Peter's Port, but you know, you just you look at the the amount of restaurants and but you know, you're very well catered for in a lot of ways. Um, and there, but there is a hole in the market for sort of culture. I mean, there's a lot of artists on the island and being over here, actually, I've made connections with a lot of local artists. Uh, yeah, obviously, that is one good thing about Instagram, actually. Uh, but yeah, and so there is a vibrant art scene here, but there was, there was a, a huge hole which this, this fills. And the fantastic thing about this is in London, you know, we obviously a cosmopolitan city or whatever, and we have lots of art, but what we don't have is the artists don't have uh, access to the, the sort of the financial side of things. So invariably, we're working in dirty offices and, you know, sort of nibbling around the edges. But you've got, I mean, David and Jock and the board members who lock, stock and barrel have control over. They have control over this building. They don't have to worry about, you know, myself and Teddy Baden, who was on the Transformation Show, who's responsible for the tentacles. You kind of, uh, you know, we sort of do projects and after a couple of years and if it's going well, you get some some guy with dollar signs that will come in and swoop and take it away from you and, you know, and it will lose its charm. Whereas this is, is it's independent and it's sustainable in a way that doesn't exist anywhere else. So I think it's, it's a really good, really good place long term for Guernsey. It's exciting. It's exciting as well to be a part of it. I'm, you know, every time we come here, we were just chatting having a cigarette with David the other day and we were like you should turn this into that you should do that you did that you know uh, I mean yeah if, if I don't come up with another idea we've got 10 years worth of ideas for Guernsey <laughs> to do so yeah I'm, I don't want to sort of uh, take take David's thing away from him and run off with it but yeah, it's, yeah I think it's, it's going to be great yeah, fantastic. Just finally, obviously, yeah, you, you sort of described it uh, as having developed into a marriage, a Tinder date that's developed into a marriage. Um, yeah, we're going to see you back here and, and, and doing more collaborations with, with Art for Guernsey. Well, you know, all marriages is a partnership and it's not always up to me. But I, I mean, long term, I, I am running the, uh, the exchange program with the kids in London, kids, young adults, because they're not kids in London. So I'm always going to have a connection. I think... Um, there's also a, a you don't want to over expose people to your art so I've, i'm sure i'll be back at some point in, a, in an art capacity but yeah for me at the moment it's more about the sort of the kids side of thing and you've got this fantastic space upstairs to do workshops in so we need to get that going next but yeah and let somebody else have a have a have a turn on the on the dance floor Daniel Hosega there speaking to tony kerr at art for guernsey's renaissance of victor hugo exhibition from Art for Guernsey to Guernsey Arts now, and the latest in our series of chats with Head of Arts Development, Russ Fossey. This month, we're focusing on the strand of the Plan for the Arts, which deals with public art. I met up with Russ alongside artist Chris Simcox and some very tuneful goldfinches, beside Jean Boucher's early 20th century statue of Victor Hugo at Candy. So, Russ, uh, in terms of public art, when you're talking about that, what do you include and what do you not include in your definition of it? 
Uh, well, I think when we're talking about public art, we're being very broad here. And uh, traditionally in Guernsey, I think we look at a lot of pieces which are heritage pieces, which actually absolutely celebrate uh, Guernsey and, and periods of our history. Um, but I think when we're talking about public art, we're also talking about starting to think about more contemporary pieces. And those can be, you know, traditional statues, but they can also be murals and walls. Um, but I think we're also starting to now to talk about... Um, uh, public art in all forms, so whether it's music or theatre uh, or any, any other form of, of art in a public place, art in public places. And so uh, what have you done so far to uh, make the vision of having more of this uh, um, locally uh, a reality and uh, what more need, need you do from here? Okay, so so our first project, which which was we kicked off two or three years ago, was the Victor Hugo Bench, the Space Creatif, um, which was a Mark Cook. Uh, 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 that was the artist for that piece and that was the first piece that was there to celebrate Victor Hugo but to put him in the context of, of Guernsey with the with the the, the octopus etc right in front of the town church so um, you know really making a statement about the importance of Victor Hugo and his 15 years in Guernsey which is Guernsey story you know that that's that that 15 years he spent in exile here is Guernsey story and very very important to us and uh, it's brilliant now to see that so many people are picking up the baton of uh, Victor Hugo and you know the, the Victor Hugo Centre and there's currently an exhibition on Victor Hugo for art for Guernsey in the Mill Street building but that was our first project as we speak um, we have four arches being painted in Market Square um, and I guess that's the first time we're going to start to see murals in St Peterport. Um, the arches for me are a brilliant place to start because they're natural frames for these pieces. Um, but I think when we talk about public art, I think really it, it's the context. Why is it important? Well, it celebrates our heritage, it celebrates our history. Um, it brings fun and vibrancy into the place. Um, it brings people through areas, so it, it supports regeneration. Um, and it sort of supports the economy in that way. It brings people through different areas. They stop for teas, they stop for coffees, they go into shops, etc. So I think, you know, public art can bring a lot to a community into an area. And I think it's, it's in that context we need to be thinking about it. The value that art brings, uh, not only on its own terms as art, but, but informing people, educating people, um, moving people through town, etc. And uh, with us, of course, it also is uh, Chris. Uh, can you uh, describe for us your involvement in Guernsey Arts' push towards uh, getting more public art uh, here in Guernsey? Uh, well, I've always had an interest in the built environment uh, from when I studied university and, and did urban design. Uh, my work is very three-dimensional, um, so I always see artwork can be outside and can be encapsulated in the environment uh, can have a conversation with place as well and community uh, so those kind of things that are quite important as well I think taking artwork out of gallery spaces and actually utilising the environment the landscape of Guernsey which is truly incredible uh, is, is a great opportunity maybe in the future to explore so yeah and do you see the opportunity as being one uh, for artists to uh, say something as an individual or for a community to express something about itself? I think it works a uh, symbiotic relationship with an artist and the community. I think an artist needs to kind of understand the community that it, it lives in and wh where they live and, and that's quite an important part of the engagement process. I think uh, in the past you know people have done public work and it's not had any 
resonance with the community so it doesn't have that 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 conversation piece almost uh thinking of successful pieces uh angel of the north is obviously a, a massive huge uh project that was sort of owned by the community after that uh, Richard Wilson in Liverpool has a lot of quite good examples there where he's and quite contemporary pieces as well where he's kind of changed buildings and looked at how Liverpool works as a space as well so uh, Liverpool is a great example actually of, of, of public art and public spaces so so, so how does that process work when it works well? Where, where you get? Because I'm just, I'm just, I'm not trying to um, imagine a sort of a, a feisty response. But at the same time, you know, you, you've you've mentioned there, it's possible to get it wrong. So how how do you go about ensuring that uh, the public art you have in a, in a particular place, such as say St Peterport, um, d- does uh, sort of carry the community with it? I mean, what's the what's the art or the science behind that? Do you think? Well, I think it's really important when you're doing pieces. Uh, which which have a um, a very strong connection with the island that you engage with stakeholders, whoever that may be. Um, so if if you're in in St Peterport, uh, a project we're looking at at the moment is to to really to to draw public art together is is to create a, what we're calling a a green line walk, um, and we're we're actually seeing in the context of a very simple green line which runs through St Peterport, which people can follow. Um, and basically discover pieces of art, pieces of heritage, interesting pieces around St Peterport. Um, the really interesting process was that is we reached out really widely to uh, the town constables, uh, to the town retailers, uh, to um, some of the health groups, the walking groups, and we talked to them about different ways of creating this line. And, uh, and to be honest, with so much technology around at the moment, we're expecting a lot of these groups to say, um, well, can't we do this on an app? You know, do, do it with modern technology. But actually, it really came back to, no, actually, a simple green line is the way to do it because it, it, it keeps people away from the screen of a phone. It keeps people looking around the environment. And people will just simply follow a line um, and discover it. So it, it goes past the people that would naturally lean towards finding our heritage pieces and public art to basically everybody just following the line um, walking for health for instance you know there's, there's a you know an, another opportunity that comes through following a line like that so yeah I think it's really important there and we, we've had some early conversations with with some of the large developments that are happening on, in the north end of the island in terms of pieces of public art uh, within those built environments um, and they're very early conversations but I think the architects are on board in terms of creating something that um, is about the community that 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 will be there it's their piece, uh, something that brings them together, and it is not just a you know a simple piece that stands alone. Um, so, it, you, so I think it is really, really important that whoever your community is, and do a good thing. You know, you need to think widely about who that community is, who's going to be affected by by a piece, and who can who can contribute to the value of that piece. That that you do reach out widely. And briefly, when are we going to see this line, and where is where is it going to be to and from? Is that all decided yet? Well, uh, in terms of to or from, I think we're saying that there's three. There's probably three natural lines. What one would run from Liberation Monument down to La Vallette. That's a nice, simple, flat walk uh, with lots of pieces on the route. It also starts to highlight perhaps where we haven't got pieces and where we could think about putting pieces. Uh, another one is one that would run up through uh, through town, up through Smith Street up to Candy and on to Prio Library um, because, you know, you're bringing all the, the, the library, St James, into that area. And another one would it would be like a loop that would run up through Mill Street, uh, come up to Trinity Square, 
make its way up to Hopeville, Victor Hugo's house, uh, and drop back into St. Peterport. So there's three quite ambitious lines there. Um, like all simple ideas, um, a green line is a really simple idea, but it's quite complex in terms of the surfaces that we can cover or we can't cover, the health and safety, uh, in terms of you know making sure it, it stops before you get to the end of pavements, and also um, when you're looking at, um, I've just said to support the economy. Well, is the line running the right side for the cafes, etc., and things like that? But so we're working on that now. I would hope that we will have uh, everything uh, built up in the background by the autumn of this year, and maybe launch launch early next year. And Chris, um, I, I, when I've travelled and I found myself in a place where there's a lot of public art on display, I, I, at some level, I find myself feeling that that place is uh, somewhere that's got its act together, you know, on, on some level. So uh, you've, your background is obviously in, in public art, art and public development. So what, what can this kind of work do for a place in, in your view? Uh, I think it's really important to to kind of make places have a yeah i could say that word conversation again uh, uh to quote kind of that accessibility that kind of wanting to be involved in a place and i think good public art program kind of says a lot about where you live as well so it kind of says you know it's almost the heritage uh, the history of a place but also that contemporary feel as well and it kind of makes the place forward forward thinking maybe more modern maybe kind of think okay this kind of interest this community is interested in other things as well. I mean, the technology we have now is, is amazing. You know, the things that we can do, uh, not just kind of the physical, but obviously, uh, like Russ says, you know, a line through a through a place is, is just as good as something really big and physical. So uh, it's, a, it's it's about, like I say, it's about stakeholders, about making people involved, it's about having chats with people and making the community want to feel like they belong to that piece, uh, which I think is, is, is vitally important. I mean, I'm from Stoke-on-Trent, uh, so I came in 2008 and the community in Stoke doesn't, doesn't have a lot of money but it's kind of got quite interesting uh, heritage similar to Guernsey with the pottery industry and um, there's quite a few nice little projects temporary art as well Tem temporary pieces is just as valid as permanent pieces so because uh, that kind of gives a lasting memory as well to, 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 to art Chris Simcox there, and you also heard from Guernsey Arts Head of Arts Development, Russ Fossey. The I Steadford is over for another year, and Beausajour's main theatre has quickly been transformed into the setting for Gaddock's latest musical production, Nine to Five. Ahead of one of their performances earlier this week, I spoke to choreographer Ruby Tapp, who's also playing the role of Dora Lee Rhodes, and to director Lisa Johnston. Why nine to five? Have you been yearning to put this on for a long time? Oh, to be perfectly honest, no. It was. I, I always try to look for something new for Gaddock, something that we haven't put on before. This is a new musical to add to our repertoire. And also bearing in mind we did Jesus Christ Superstar last year, I think it's really important to find contrast for the following year. So it was either going very retro into one of the classics, like a Guys and Dolls or a Calamity Jane, or it was trying to see what, what else was out there that was perhaps a newer musical. Nine to Five was, was really not very well known, uh, not, not really by me, obviously I think we all know the title so. 
song. Um, so I just started listening to the music and after two or three times through of the score, I was absolutely sold on it. It's got a fantastic array of different musical styles. And to say it's been written by Dolly Parton, who's really only known for her country and western. Um, we've got a couple of country and western songs in here, but such a variety of other pure musical theatre styles. I think it's a great, a great production. Uh, it strikes me that there can't be uh, very many sort of artistic endeavours in a Guernsey context that reach so many people so quickly as a Gaddock musical. And, and you're, you're doing well with ticket sales, I understand. So I mean, how's, how well has it been going down? Oh, I mean, phenomenal, really. I, I, I'm, I'm quite overwhelmed by the reaction to what is really quite a normal musical. I mean, we've got no flying car like we did in Chitty. We've got no flying people like we did in Peter Pan. We've got no revolve like we did in Les Mis. It's just a musical. So therefore, you're really relying on the professionalism of your cast and to get the, the performance as polished as you can. And, and the attention to detail as well. Obviously, this is set in 1979. And so we need to take the audience back to that with the costumes, the hair. And also we're set in an office, so it's, it's looking at typewriters rather than, you know, the PCs that we have at work today. So I think it's, it's been bringing all that together. And so many people have said that they've, they've seen it and they've appreciated it. And then you add in the phenomenal cast that we've got. We've got some beautiful uh, ballads um, that, that make you so poignant, they make you want to cry. And then we've got some fantastic, upbeat, big numbers, you know, which, which everybody's involved in. So I think, I think there's something for everybody. And the, the comments we've got back have just been, just been crazy. And uh, speaking of the cast, uh, Ruby, uh, what's it been like for you uh, getting uh, to grips with this particular musical here at Bose Jewel? It's been amazing. Um, obviously, I've been choreographing it behind the scenes, which is uh, so I've seen that whole element of it and months and months of pre-planning before we even got to the auditions. And then stepping into the, the cast role and auditioning and being that side, I literally have had a bit of everything. And it's such an amazing, joyous, happy, feel-good musical that both sides of it have just been an absolute treat, really, yeah. And from that choreography point of view, how, how much are you able to plan uh, and, and how many of those plans go out the window once you get into context with the cast that you've assembled? Um, well, I'm very fortunate that I know a lot of the cast and how talented and wonderful they are. So I can kind of plan accordingly before getting into the room. So not many of my plans were scrapped, really. I kind of went with it and they all pulled it out the bag and, yeah, totally rose to the occasion. So, yeah, it was great. And, and how many are in the cast for this? 28, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, what sort of, um, what were you wanting to convey with some of the, um, the choreography that you've uh, drawn up for this? I think because it's such a new musical that people don't know, I wanted the choreography to match that. I wanted it to be um, innovative and creative and like spark some new ideas and stuff, which I hope fingers crossed I portrayed um, and also there's so many different types of numbers I just got to play I've managed to get some tap in there which I always manage to do love a bit of tap um, a bit of ballet I mean there's literally is it's full of everything so it's been an absolute treat and finally Lisa I, I know you were obviously right in the midst of this but what's next for you uh, well, funny you should ask, but we are going retro next year. So we're going to go back to um, an absolute classic musical with a timeless score. We're going to be doing Guys and Dolls next Easter. Uh, so I can't wait to get started. In fact, I've already got started on that. I always like to do a lot of preparation for the shows because then I think hopefully it shows when we actually get to the theatre. So that's personally for me. But um, Gaddock has got, obviously, we've got our One Act Play Festival coming up in May. Um, and then we've got um, the Diary of Anne Frank in October and then we have our pantomime at Christmas which is going to be great
plenty more to look forward to from Gaddock then. That was director Lisa Johnston and choreographer and actor Ruby Tapp speaking to me at Beaux Azure ahead of Tuesday's performance of 9 to 5. Sophie Laliva is a technical artist, a sculptor and the woman behind a recent exhibition called Portal, which was shown at the Gatehouse Gallery. Tony Kerr caught up with her to discuss her art, her inspirations and the joy of working to tight deadlines. Portal is an exhibition that I um, came up with kind of initially during the pandemic when I had to deal with um, my father dying and the birth of my new, um, my first child. Um, and a lot of it comes initially from making mandalas and the act of that um, in uh, in ancient practice of monks kind of repeating these things in the sand, these motifs to deal with life and death. Um, and I feel like art is therapy for a lot of people and it became that during the pandemic. Um, and this kind of exemplifies each... Um, each architectural movement using those principles and uh, the motifs within the architecture all reference life, death and seeking pleasure, which is essentially a Freudian thing that all of us want to do while we're still alive. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? And, you know, you're drawing together so many different cultures, influences, but it's all centered around these, uh, yeah, these kind of repeating circular motifs. Um, just talk us through the actual process of putting them together then as an artist. Um, so I start off with designing the work um, through initial referencing from each architectural movement and I piece them together visually on paper before I start and then once I've begun I can um, size everything up make sure that they're all they all kind of fit together and I and I work them in clay I, I'm a mold maker, so I work in trade, and a lot of what I've learned in the industry over the years comes out through through this work as well. Um, and the final piece is cast in an imitation stone that also references the movement's original material, so a Portland stone or a charcoal or a terracotta or sandstone. So these pieces all have... Um, distinct references to their to their origins. I mean, how different is it to what you've done previously? You've got a background in um, kind of film and uh, movies and, and sort of set building and, and prop sort of construction. Just talk us through your career uh, and how it sort of brought you to this point. Yeah, so initially I um, did a degree at Wimbledon College of Art and they, they focused very much in that course um, in technical arts and, and what you could learn to help support your practice. So mold making and learning about all these different materials was quite an important part of that. But also we did, you know, prosthetics and puppetry. So, you know, all of these things also influenced me anyway. But my major influences are the architectural movements because I had such fantastic learning in the film industry um, and the most enjoyable work that you do get when you're working in construction and set building is palaces and castles and ornamentation. And quite often they're almost magical in their essence as well. So you can kind of take the original architecture and embellish it even more depending on what you think looks nice as well. So not 
Um, it doesn't have to be precise because it's Disney, you know. So there's there's levels of that that's also quite magical and inspirational. And I'm heavily influenced by um, the training that I've had as well. You've worked on some really exciting projects over the years. What have been the sort of standout things that you've done in, in, in that side of your career? Um, I think it depends on the job um, and how much enjoyment you get out of it. And quite a lot of... Um, maybe the major films that I have worked on, they might not have been as um, busy when it comes to set building. We might have made some trees or some amazing rock faces. And that's another part of what I'm really inspired by is, is um, nature and, um, and, you know, natural materials because I come from Guernsey, you know. Guernsey's a place of such mass, uh, like amazing inspiration for children. All of those things and those references from my childhood have come out in my work because I've had to study rocks for, you know, these large scale productions. Um, and I think my favorite work has mostly been because it, if it's, textual and if it's to do with nature so we, we had some um lovely work on 1917 and that was bond kind of buildings so you had to kind of recreate these bond brick buildings um in a war-strewn country so those those are fun because they're kind of you have to just imitate this set, you know this decay and that's another part of what i what i've brought into this work is is the death part of these major themes is this sense of decay and crumbling uh, in the stone, which I am obsessed with. I just love kind of texture like that. And in terms of your career, then you moved back to Guernsey um, a couple of years ago. You obviously started a family. I mean, kind of artistically and in terms of you know, your sort of your, your creative outlets, if you like, have you found um, kind of settling back into island life and, and, you know, being able to put on an exhibition like this? Well, I think um, working as a professional in London for so long, you learn to use your time very wisely. And I think having a baby makes you just work. It's it's nothing to do with, oh, you know, I'm an artist and oh, I, I didn't feel in the mood today. It's very much like, oh, no, I've got lots of things that I want to do and I'm inspired by and I just keep going. So that's the best thing about having those snippets of time because the inspiration's here for everyone. Um, but also you really use your time well when you've got no time, I think. <laughs> so it kind of, it really puts you on the, on, the, on the ball because, you know, someone would come to you, a designer would say, I want you to make this in three days and they'll just take it away from you. You can't just say, oh, I'm not ready. It's not right, you know. Um, so that's, that's another thing that the film industry, it's, you know, hard, fast, but you can't, be precious about um, yourself or your ego when you're working for people like that because they just need to get on and make something at the end of the day. You're wasting their money. <laughs> what would you say about the opportunities on offer and, and yeah, kind of why a young person who's interested in the arts in whatever shape or form might give it a go? Well, I think initially it's amazing in a sense that everyone has access to art, so that's easy. But I think... Um, Sculpture is quite niche because there's a lot of technical uh, things that you have to learn, mostly from from a degree level. So, you know, the advice would essentially be to 
really go for it and go and study properly um, abroad. And if you're into figures, go to Florence. If you're into, you know, all of these things that are really going to help you become a better sculptor. Um, so it is quite unique in a sense that it's harder to access. It's not, it is a trade in essence, you know, that the work that I've done with mold making is essentially something that lots of people do. Um, but when it comes to, you know, accuracy and, and finesse, it's, it's a very unique kind of trade that um, is essentially a dying art um, when it comes to uh, stucco ceilings and plaster work and I've worked with some amazing people that are c keeping that alive single-handedly you know <laughs> so you you can come across some amazing people but I think you have to leave the island to experience that but now for you coming back um yeah how big a moment is it for you to to be able to put on display um some work that obviously you've created in a you know in a very um kind of uh Sort of emotional sort of time in your life um but to but to get to this point and and kind of have this to reflect on and, and actually to be able to share it to the public what does that mean to you it, it it means a hell of a lot because um although it's an an immensely emotional you know part of my life it also is my first uh major series of work because i haven't had the time to just focus on my own work so it's wonderful to actually use my skills and do something that I want to do without just uh, working for Disney <laughs> or, you know, another designer or a client. It's nice to have um, my own work there to show and, and the major meaning behind it as well. Well, it's a fantastic contribution I think you've made to this uh, to this kind of medium here in Guernsey. I mean, where can people find out a bit more, Sophie, and, um, and, and follow your progress as you kind of continue to explore this sort of stuff? Um, well, I'd love to, I'd love to continue to, um, I'm very much inspired and I want to put a lot back into Guernsey. So there is, there is work that I am working on now as collaboration with some local people here. Um, and I want to really put w my skills back, um, in some form. Um, and I think there's, you know, some amazing movements with art for Guernsey, um, and they're doing a lot to kind of keep keep children and people and anyone who's anyone involved in art and I think that's amazing so there's there's a lot going for Guernsey and I would love to be part of that. Sophie Lilliva there speaking to Tony Kerr. Finally this month let's hear from Claire Fisher also known as the Quirky Kiwi, a Guernsey-born artist who moved to New Zealand as a child and moved back in adulthood. She's the latest artist to take up the opportunity of exhibiting her work at the pop-up OSA recruitment space on Smith Street. I popped in to ask her about the inspirations behind her intricate penwork. So um, I grew up in New Zealand and my patterns are based on the koru which is the fundamentally the, the curl in a fern frond. Um, but also the Māori use this pattern in a lot of their work, which is beautiful. I love traditional Māori art and I love um, modern Māori art. And um, although the art is very sacred, I've just taken the koru pattern, the shape, and used it, replicated it in many of my patterns that I use. Um, Yes, that's my main inspiration is is the shapes that you find in 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 nature. And um, as well as uh, your time spent in New Zealand, where you've been there for most of your life, you you spent your early years here in Guernsey. How does 
Guernsey's environment sort of feed into your use of this style of art? I think Guernsey's got what it does have is beautiful landscapes um, and there's lots of colour and vibrancy, changing seasons. Um, you know, you can see beauty in everything. So, the, and there's things in like the mackerel lends itself perfectly to have lots of patterns in it. Um, the sea, seascapes in Guernsey are beautiful. Um, the town lends itself, it's got lots of colour and you can pattern, you can draw patterns within anything. Um, I love the Guernsey, the, the stone and the, um, you know, the, the the sort of wooden structures we have and within, you know, like driftwood and all that lovely old stuff, old stuff inspires me. And um, you're here now um, on Smith Street with a, an opportunity to uh, sort of open up this pop-up shop. Well, what, what does that opportunity mean to you? Um, for me, it's, it gives me the opportunity to display my art in a way that I wouldn't normally be able to do. Um, and it's we've turned it into a really comfy, cosy space where people can come and have a coffee. It's like a studio slash shop. Um, it gives people the opportunity to come in and see what I've got. Um, and it gives me the opportunity to see what people like and what they don't like. Um, and it also gives us the opportunity to raise money for a charity, which is really important to me. So it's all in all, it's a really good thing. But it means a lot to be able to show what I'm doing to the Guernsey people. Oh, what is the charity that uh, you're raising money for? Uh, Ruben's Fund. It's... Um, it's a charity based, um, a friend of mine's little boy sadly passed away at three months old of cardiomyopathy, which is the same heart disease I have. Um, so his parents are very bravely raising money in his legacy. And what, how would you describe the sort of reception that your style of art, which is, is unusual for uh, Guernsey, we won't have been seen very often here. How, what, what sort of reception have you had for it? Um, mixed bag, really. It's not, it's not a traditional style it's some people have really love it and some people um it's not for them but that's that's okay i don't think um anybody who draws or paints or sculpts or acts or whatever they do as a creative outlet will tell you that not everybody likes what we're doing and that's why there's so many of us because we all bring something to the table and, and the style is, is extremely intricate, isn't it? And uh, I imagine each piece must uh, be quite a labour of love for you. It must take quite some time. Yeah, it can take up to a week to do one picture. Um, it's difficult to describe the level of intricacy without seeing it, but um, it, they are a labour of love. But then I get lost in the pattern and I, and I just, I just love doing it. And, um, and it, it brings me joy. So, um, yeah, and I love colour. So <laughs> it's nice seeing something appear on the page that you've drawn and that, you know, will hopefully be around forever. The quirky Kiwi Claire Fisher there, speaking to me at her pop-up shop on Smith Street, where she will continue to be until Saturday the 15th. That's all for this edition of the Guernsey Press Arts Podcast. If you have a project you think we should be shouting about, please get in touch. My email is sdelarue at guernseypress.com. Goodbye for now. <laughs>